This is the Blaze Radio On Demand. When our water heater broke down last month, it was a nightmare. It took five hours for the plumber to show up, and he charged us a couple of hundred bucks just to come out. Then it cost another $1,800 to put in the new water heater. By the time it was all said and done, I felt like I'd been taken. But what else could I do? The smartest thing you can do is get a home warranty from American Residential Warranty. Their home warranties pay to repair or replace all your major appliances when they break. And they will break. And at the worst possible time, call American Residential Warranty right now for free information on home warranties starting at just pennies a day. Don't wait for your refrigerator to stop running or your ceiling fans to stop turning. Call American Residential Warranty right now. Ask how you can save up to 50% on wash and dryer coverage. Just call 1-800-686-3910. That's 1-800-686-3910. Again, 1-800-686-3910. Call now. And go for Mike Slater in 3, 2, 1. You're listening to Mike Slater, part of the next generation of talk radio. Only on the Blaze Radio Network. <laughs> who else is there? Who else is in the studio right now? Who just said that? <laughs> That's hilarious. Yes, yeah, as we're going down, down in an earlier round, sugar, we're going down swinging. Glad I wasn't the only one who didn't know what that was. How are you, Slider? Crusaders America is the greatest country in the world. Thank you for being here. Uh, we got a debate tonight. We got some uh, politics to talk about, all that good stuff. But I want to uh, celebrate a victory here to kick off the show. Now, this is a local story, local San Diego story. But you hear about these every once in a while. Something will pop up on the blaze all over the place. So um, I'm sure it will happen in a town near you if it hasn't already. And I just want to give you hope that um, if you show up and you have a principled argument to make and you make it in a righteous way, uh, there's a chance that you can defeat brain-dead bureaucracy. So there's a high school, pretty big high school uh, in Escondido. It's a town just north of San Diego, uh, 2,500 kids. And uh, Sam is a junior. He's a model student, National Honor Society, three-sport athlete. Three weeks ago, he drove his dad's car to school, uh, like an SUV, a, a, a Yukon. Right? More SUV. He only had his license for two weeks at that point. So he didn't have his own car. Drove his dad's car to school. Drove his little brother as well. Uh, parked in the parking lot. Went to class. Everything was good. Um, got pulled out of class in the middle of the school. Middle of the day. Apparently some drug sniffing dogs flagged Sam's car. So they said, Sam, can we uh, search your car for drugs? And Sam's like, yeah. <laughs> I, mean, uh, I don't have any drugs in the car. So you go ahead and search. Now, they didn't find any drugs. I'll tell you that. But Sam was expelled from school for what they did find. Expelled him. Again, model student, National Honor Society. He's won academic awards. Perfect kid. You, You would hold him up as a poster child for this school. Expelled from school. Why? Because in the glove box... They found a three-inch pocket knife. Zero tolerance. You're gone. Expelled him. Now, it was his dad's car. It was his dad's pocket knife. They bought it at a swap meet recently because they like to go fishing together. They went fishing a couple weeks before. 
used it to cut the line and all the rest. And then when they got in the car, they threw the knife in the glove box, forgot all about it. His son expelled from school. Now, this is his junior year, most important year. He was recruited uh, for, for some sports, for college, looking to receive a scholarship. And now he's expelled. Now he's going to have to go to a continuation school. I don't know if that's what they call it where you live, but in California they call it a continuation school. It's like uh, like a juvenile detention. <laughs> so, so now he's going to have to go. Like, can you imagine him next year sitting in a continuation school with kids who you know are very, dangerous, like, get in uh, lots of fights all the time or whatever, and Sam, model students sit in the middle of the classroom and say, what am I doing here? What, what happened? So we found out about it. Now, this was three weeks ago he got expelled. We found out about it, I think, Monday. Now, it just so happened that Tuesday, just a couple days ago, there was a board meeting. Just a regularly scheduled board meeting. Now, of course, he wasn't on the agenda because you have to submit your application to be on the agenda six weeks prior to the board meeting. So he said, all right, whatever. Let's get as many people there as possible. We need to pack that boardroom. And we got to convince this board to let Sam get back to school. Now, again, he's already been out at this point. He's already been out of school for two weeks. He's becoming emotionally distraught. His parents are distraught because they think this mistake, I don't even call it a mistake. It's a pocket knife. But this mistake they made could ruin their, their son's future. So they're distraught. Everyone's distraught. And the expulsion hearing was going to be at the end of the month. So it was going to be a full six weeks before they even had the expulsion hearing. We said, no, 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 we're not going to put up with this. We're going to get everyone out to the board meeting. So we had a call to action. We had hundreds of people showed up at this board meeting. People from an hour away drove to this board meeting. They don't even live in that town and they were there. They've never even met Sam and his family and they were there. Could not fit another soul in that building. Now, Escondido is a, is a good city, good town. Uh, it's a country town. If this happened at San Diego Unified School District, there's no way the school district would do anything because right? they're horrible people. <laughs> it's, it's a total I – didn't, I didn't mean that. Who said that? That's, that's, that's rude. Uh, Escondido, good town, good people, good members of the school board, good country town. So I said, you know what? There's going to be hope here. So they, we all showed up at the board meeting, and uh, the board said, well, this isn't on the agenda. And one of the board members said, come on, guys. <laughs> Let's put it on the agenda. Right now, we're going to break the rules. Robert's rules of order. We're going to break it. We're going to put them on the agenda right now. So they heard uh, all the public comments and were very receptive. That night, we found out that they moved the expulsion hearing from what was supposed to be at the end of the month to Friday, yesterday. Now, something else happened to that board meeting. Hundreds of people are there to support Sam and his family. There's another family who showed up at that board meeting. Brandon's family. Brandon's family looks around and says, why are there so many people here? And all the people who are there for Sam say, oh my gosh, you're not going to believe it. You're not going to believe it. Sam here went to school. A drug-sniffing dog flagged his car. They searched the car. They found a pocket knife. He got expelled. And Brandon's family said, you too? Turns out, and we didn't even know until we went to the board meeting, there were two kids who were expelled from school for having pocket knives in the car. Now, Sam, model student, three-sport athlete. Brandon, he's a senior. He just turned 18 just a couple weeks ago. This summer, he enlisted in the Marines. He's ready to go to boot camp after he graduates on June 20th right here in San Diego. And he was going to become a Marine just like his brother, just like his dad, just like his grandpa. 
But none of that was going to happen because he is expelled from school and charged with a misdemeanor. We've talked to uh, recruitment guys in the, in the core, and they said, yeah, you can, with certain misdemeanors, you can get a waiver and still join the core, but not with weapon possession on a school. Like You can't get a waiver for that. So this kid, if this expulsion goes through and he gets charged with a misdemeanor, he'll, he won't be able to join the Marine Corps. At best, he'll be put on probation, and you can't join the military if you're on probation. So at best, it would be delayed. But then even when he does join, a misdemeanor on his record will prevent him from doing certain jobs in the Corps and prevent him from having certain security clearances in the future. So this is, again, it could be devastating for his future or just be, um, at the worst, be just really annoying and frustrating for the rest of his life. So there were two kids who got expelled. Okay, so both of their expulsion hearings got moved up to Friday. So roll around to Friday. This is yesterday. Sam's hearing was at 9 a.m. Brandon's was at 1.30. There was a three-person board, a special board that had nothing to do with the school district who were going to hear the case. It was supposed to be public, or they gave the family the option of private or public. The family chose public. Uh, but then when it all happened, they didn't let anyone in. Right? So our producer is waiting outside. Uh, when they got there at 9 o'clock, there were about 100 people there, kids, parents, everyone. Waited there for hours hours and they wouldn't let anyone in they only heard from the athletic director a couple coaches a teacher or two and uh and, and his best friend a little character hearing on sam four and a half hours later four and a half hours later the school board or whoever i guess the superintendent came out and said we're going to uh give our decision in the next three days three school days actually and there's no school monday or tuesday next week so we're thinking okay friday next like next friday we're going to hear a decision so they had to end the hearing because it was, at that point it was one fifteen, and Brandon's hearing, the Marine, or wants to be Marine, he was supposed to start at one thirty. So then they have another four-hour hearing for Brandon. And I'm thinking, so we're live on the air when all this is happening. We're thinking, what the heck is taking so long? This should take, first of all, it shouldn't have taken any time. The principal, who, by the way, is an interim principal because the other principal left to a different job. So this was a retired principal who they brought back, so even less accountability. The principal should have said, ah, oh, Sam, we found this knife in your car. You can't bring a knife on campus. And Sam would have said, oh, geez, my dad's knife, dad's car. I'm so sorry. All right, Sam, here's the deal. Um, I got to take it from you. And you really can't do this again. If you do this again, there's going to be big trouble. Um, I got to give you a weeks of detention for doing this because, you know, you broke the rules. And, you know, I know you didn't mean to, but you, so week of detention. Um, and I got to keep the knife from you. Don't do it again. All right. Okay, ma'am. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry, man. Sam, don't worry about it, man. I know you're a good kid. Good luck on the game this weekend. You played awesome last week in your basketball game. Oh, thanks. Thank you, principal. Thank you. Thank you. That, that's how that should have gone. By the way, Sam missed the last couple basketball games of the season. And if this expulsion holds, then he's going to miss his baseball trials for next year. And that's if he's allowed to go back to school. If he's expelled, then forget about any of that. But that's how that should have gone, right? The principal should have showed a little thing called discretion. And said, here's a, Nash, here's a model student. Let's not expel him for an honest mistake. Should have done the same with Brandon. But here we are at this expulsion hearing taking four and a half hours. What's going on? All right, I'll cut to the chase. We just got word last night. Late last night, 10 o'clock last night. Both Sam and Brandon reinstated back to school. Common sense prevailed. A great victory for these kids and their families and, and common sense and beating a bureaucracy. 
Because one of the most frustrating things, and maybe we can talk more about this coming up, but one of the most frustrating things about schools and government and all this stuff is no accountability. The principal's like, well, there's nothing I can do. I'm like, no, there's everything you can do. You can, first of all, you, it was up to you to even get it this far. You could have stopped this a long time ago. But you can stop this right now. But the principal's like, ah, there's nothing I can do. The school board's like, hmm, nothing I can do about it. Ooh, sorry, it's out of our hands. The superintendent, like, ah, out of my hands, nothing I can do. Like, whose hands is this in? It was so hopeless feeling. Who's in charge here? Sam and his family said they just felt like paperwork. They just felt like a number. That's it. And that's what bureaucracy does. And no one's accountable. No one's accountable. And if it wasn't for the hundreds of people who showed up at that board meeting and said, we're not going to stand for this. And if you expel Sam, it's going to get ugly. If it wasn't for people who stood up and did that, then his expulsion hearing wouldn't be for another couple weeks. And I guarantee you he'd be expelled. What a great victory. So again, this is a San Diego story, but this happens often across the country. Goofy zero tolerance policies like this. You've heard it before. There'll be you know, a first grader who bites a Pop-Tart in the shape of a gun, right? <laughs> gets, gets expelled. Like, what is going on? You can rally your community. You can. There's a way to do it. Take heart. Get a little hope out of what happened here with these two kids. 1-888-900-3393. 1-888-900-3393. Slater Radio on Twitter. And um, we have a lot more stories about this on our uh, Facebook page. If you search for the Mike Slater Show on Facebook, we have pictures and video and, uh, and all that stuff here. Um, there's a bigger lesson here, though. Other than don't send your kids to public school. Uh, the bigger lesson is why do we put so much power into the hands of people who don't feel pain when they make bad decisions? That's the big question. Why do we put so much power? And this is really to Bernie Sanders supporters and Hillary supporters as well. Why do we put so much power into the hands of people who don't feel pain when they make bad decisions? I want to talk about that. Coming up next, Mike Slater Show, the Blaze Radio Network. Spread the word. Mike Slater. On the Blaze Radio Network. When our water heater broke down last month, it was a nightmare. It took five hours for the plumber to show up, and he charged us a couple of hundred bucks just to come out. Then it cost another $1,800 to put in the new water heater. By the time it was all said and done, I felt like I'd been taken. But what else could I do? The smartest thing you can do is get a home warranty from American Residential Warranty. Their home warranties pay to repair or replace all your major appliances when they break. And they will break. And at the worst possible time, call American Residential Warranty right now for free information on home warranties starting at just pennies a day. Don't wait for your refrigerator to stop running or your ceiling fans to stop turning. Call American Residential Warranty right now. Ask how you can save up to 50% on washing and dryer coverage. Just call 1-800-686-3910. That's 1-800-686-3910. Again, 1-800-686-3910. Call now. You're listening to Mike Slater. I hope Sam and Brandon, uh, Brendan, 
the two kids who are going to be expelled now reinstated. I hope from this whole experience, they they learn they, they focus on the light, right? And so as opposed to the darkness and the confusion and the like, like do they not care? But why is the school district? Why are these adults working against me? Why are they fighting me and my family? Why are they treating me like this? Instead of that, I hope to focus on the community coming out and and supporting them and hugging their family. They don't even know them, right? They just heard about it on the radio and they're like, I'm coming all the way. I'm an hour away and I came here to support you. Like, I hope they really focus on, on the goodness uh, and, and wonderful people who came to their support um, instead of the school district. And I was listening to, uh, read a article from Glenn Reynolds uh, in the USA Today. And he made a nice analogy. Well, the question, his question was, why do we trust so much power to people who don't feel pain when we fall down? And I was thinking, you know, it would be a cruel experiment to take a baby who's just learning how to walk. And, you know, when a baby learns to walk, it'll fall down a lot. And and it doesn't like to fall down. It it hurts. It's not pleasant. So they try to not fall, right? So what a cruel experiment it would be to every time a baby falls down, you give it a treat or you praise it and you love on the baby for not for for falling, for not walking. You do it the back or the other way. The natural incentive is to stop falling. But I wonder if there's a way that you could overcome the natural incentive to walk with a new incentive so that the baby chooses to fall instead of learning to walk. And I brought that up on my local show the other day and someone called in and said, Slater, I'm not even kidding with this story. I got some really close friends. They have two boys and a baby girl. And the two boys learned to walk just fine, but the baby girl wouldn't walk. And it was well past the age when the baby should walk. And they brought him to the doctor, brought the baby to the doctor and said, why can't our baby walk? And they did all the tests and everything. And the baby passed all the tests. And then the doctor says, wait a second, do you have any other kids? And they said, yeah, we have, we have two older boys. He said, there's your problem. What do you mean? There's the problem. Apparently every time the little girl would point to something, either the older brothers, you know, who are two or three or whatever, would take the thing and bring it to the girl or they would pick up the girl and carry her to the thing. So the little girl, the baby girl, never needed to learn to walk. So she, she didn't. <laughs> she didn't need to. Isn't that fascinating? So I don't want to get too off topic, but, but my argument is these bureaucrats, politicians, the people who run our country and our school districts, these people in power, when they make bad decisions, when they make mistakes, when we, they force us to fall down, when they push us over, they don't feel the pain. Tim Noah wrote in Salon, he said, on Wall Street, financial crisis destroys jobs. But here in Washington, financial crisis creates them. Right? When businesses make bad decisions, they go out of business. There's real-life consequences to those actions and decisions. But in government land, there are no consequences. And it's very foolish to entrust those people who have no consequences to their actions. It's very foolish to give those people power over your life. A couple days ago, I talked to a gentleman. He owns a just as salt-of-the-earth guy as you could ever imagine. He owns a convenience store in middle of nowhere in North Carolina. And the IRS stole $107,000 from him. Seized it. Without charging him with a crime. Not even, not without convicting him, without even charging him with a crime. This happens often. It's called civil forfeiture. Um, we don't have time to go into it, but if you make cash deposits uh, 
over ten thousand dollars, the the bank alerts the IRS. Or if you make them under just under ten thousand dollars, then they alert the IRS. So the IRS came and took the the man's money, all of it, because they they're looking for money launderers and drug smugglers. Of course, he was neither of those things. He sold hot dogs and soda. Caused this man incredible heartache and sleepless nights and pain and financial loss, obviously, and all the rest. Turns out he fought the government using the Institute for Justice as help. Fought the government, won, got all of his money back plus legal fees. So he's back to zero now. I say won, but he's back to back to you know where, where before it all happened. But the IRS agents, whatever happened to them? What happened to them? There were real life consequences for uh, for Lyndon, the convenience store owner. Real life consequences for him. Any consequences for the IRS agents? The people who took his money for no reason? Incorrectly? Unfairly? No. So why do we want to grow that system? Why do we want more of that? And I guess if I could say to Bernie Sanders supporters, I would throw that out there. You know, I, I get there are there they don't like the fact that, you know, we Wall Street can do bad things and then everyone hurts and they get bonuses. Totally with you. But why do you think government will solve that? They're just as bad, if not worse. They have just as backwards of an incentive, if not worse. What we need is a system where if someone makes bad decisions, then they're the ones who are held accountable. That's true capitalism. It's most certainly not socialism or even democratic socialism. Accountability is the name of the game. Mike Slater Show, The Blaze Radio Network. Spread the word. This is Mike Slater. Part of the next generation of talk radio. On the Blaze Radio Network. Mike Slater. <laughs> well done, sir. Well done. Um... So I just kind of now I kind of wait. I want to wait till the <laughs> till the cars, but we must not. We cannot wait that long. Time is of the essence. Um, excited for the debate tonight. I get way excited for these, and then they're always a little. I don't know. I get too excited, so I'm trying to temper my excitement. But um, actually, we're doing a. Hmm. I think we're streaming this tonight at my local station. We're doing a viewing party. We have I think I think 70 people coming to the studio to the TV studio here, uh, and we're all going to watch the debate together and do a little. Uh, you know, pause and chat and own little focus groups throughout and all that stuff. I think we're streaming that. Um, I'll put it on my Facebook page. and Maybe you can check it tonight uh, and you can watch our, our broadcast out if you'd like. Um, let me do a quick comment on the last one because something really fascinating happened. Do you remember this must have been? I'm trying to think of the timing of it because the last debate was Saturday. So it must have been last Saturday. We talked about the importance of liabilities and assets. And I made the argument and, and I said, I don't know who will do this. I don't know how they will do this. But on March 2nd, whoever's leading after Super Tuesday will be the person who turned their liabilities into assets and turned the other candidates' assets into liabilities. Let me say it this way. The candidate who can turn their negatives into positives 
and turn the other candidates' seemingly positive things into negatives. Whoever can do that will be the person who will come out ahead in the end. Now, that seems obvious. You're like, okay, super insightful, Slater. Like, that's duh. But that's not always how it works, and it's very hard to do that. And we gave a few examples last week. We won't go into it all, but Henry V uh, is the classic military example. Henry V had 6,000 men, and the French had 60,000 men. And not only were they men, they were uh, armored knights on horseback. So the French had an asset. They had a strength, like all these men on horseback. But Henry V, he turned it into a liability by forcing the knights into a narrow area that was really muddy. So the horses got stuck. And the knights fell off, and they got stuck in the mud with their 60 pounds of armor. So Henry V turned the French, the French's strength, their asset, into a weakness, into a liability. And then his men, the liability was that there were so few of them. That was his negative. So he turned that into a positive with the greatest speech, I think, maybe that was ever given, uh, when he said, uh, it's great that there are so few of us. <laughs> this, is, this is great news for you. Because all the men back in England will curse the day that they weren't in this battle like you are. You are the select few. You are the special few. He said, he said uh, we few, we happy few, we band of brothers. So the morale was super low because they're like, geez, there's only 6,000 of us for 60,000 of them. And then after that speech, it was, there's only 6,000 of us. And we're going to go on to great glory and a glory of triumph now. Anyway, so that's a military example. And then the business example we gave is 3M. They tried to make a super uh, strong adhesive, and they failed miserably. Uh, they actually made a really weak adhesive, and they turned that into Post-it notes. Right, so, so it happens all the time, but it's hard to do. Now, who's going to do this when it comes to the candidates, uh, the, the race for president? I'm not sure, but we did see a little bit of it last week. I'm talking about Chris Christie and Marco Rubio. Marco Rubio's greatest asset is his soaring rhetoric. Isn't it? That's his strength. His soaring rhetoric. He's great at it, right? He can just go right into a speech and just, it's it's beautiful. Beautiful words, beautiful tone. Uh, it, It connects. It's just great. It's one of his greatest assets. Chris Christie within three minutes, turned it into Rubio's greatest liability. Do you remember the scene? We're not going to play it here, but do you remember the the part of the debate last week? I'm sure you've heard it a million times where uh, Rubio goes into his soaring rhetoric. And then Chris Christie says, listen, man, you can't just memorize a 30-second speech. That's not going to actually get anything done. And then Rubio goes right back into the same speech. And Chris Christie says, oh, there he goes again. And then Rubio goes right back into the exact same speech. And now the crowd's laughing at him. And Rubio didn't know what to do. And now they you know, call him a robot and all that stuff. Huffington Post won't let it go. They, they keep calling him uh, Robot Rubio and all that stuff, right? And these people who uh, are wearing these cardboard boxes to look like robots and they're following his campaign and making fun of him. But now, Chris Christie, with what he did here, he made it so that Rubio, when he goes into his soaring rhetoric, which just last week was his greatest strength, Every time he goes into that mode, everyone thinks, there he goes again. More of this now. More of the same canned, memorized speech. Now, I'm not saying that that's... 
I'm not commenting on you know whether you should think that or shouldn't or should like Rubio or shouldn't like Rubio. I'm just using that as an example of look what Chris Christie was able to do. He was able to turn Marco Rubio's greatest strength into a weakness. So it's going to be really interesting to see what Rubio does tonight with his tone, with the way he connects, with how he speaks. Is he going to give more soaring speeches or is he going to talk on a more personal level? Chris Christie's biggest contribution to this to his run for presidency was knocking Rubio down a notch. And he did it in that one very specific way. We'll see if anyone else can do it. But if they can, it's very powerful. Because it's the person's greatest strength. Like, what do they do? If you take away their greatest strength, they got nothing. Hard to do. One eight 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 nine hundred thirty three ninety three, and we'll see if anyone else can do it tonight. Again, I don't know how they're going to do it. I don't know who's going to do it, but keep an eye out for it. I got a minute here. Can I tell one more story? Um, I came across this just the other day. It's just another. This is not nothing to do with politics. Just another nice story on turning liabilities into assets. So we just did a story on turning your asset, your negative, or excuse me, your positive into a liability. Here's a story of turning your liability into an asset. Uh, Jacques Lesurant. Jacques was eight years old and he tripped and fell into the corner of his teacher's desk. And he wore glasses and he landed right on his eye. His eye went right into the corner of the desk and the glasses broke and there's glass all in his eye. Isn't that horrible? He went completely blind. This was 1935-ish. Completely blind. Now, back then, if you were blind, you were shunned from society, basically, right? Kicked out of school and all the rest. But he didn't want that. He wanted to stay in the same school and have his old friends and, and be treated no different than anyone else. So he, he did. He was able to stay in school. So 1941 rolled around. He's 16 at this point. And this is when the Nazis took over France. Jacques, 16 years old and blind, he started a group called the Volunteers of Liberty. And it was a part of the French resistance movement. If you've never been to Normandy, you have to, first of all. Please put that up at the top of your bucket list. Um, but when you travel around France and you go to any World War II museums, it's all about the French resistance. They talk about the French resistance, which basically was just this movement where the Nazis took over, but the French people would subtly fight against them by being really inefficient and sabotaging different things and stuff like that. So Jacques started the Volunteers of Liberty. And his biggest contribution was an underground news pamphlet that would keep morale up and stuff like that. But I want to focus on one part of his story. When he lost his sight, and maybe you've heard of this happening before, he lost his sight, but all of his other senses strengthened. It's an amazing thing about humans. I don't know how it works, but it does. His hearing amplified. He could hear everything. He could tell by the sound of someone walking on the floor how big the room was. You you probably thought I was going to say he could tell by someone walking on the floor like where they were. No, 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 no. He could tell how big the room was. He could tell just just by listening where the windows were in a room. He could tell that if a door shut, he could tell if it was shut by the wind or shut by a person. He could hear the sound of a hand waving through the air. I'm not even kidding. He just immersed himself in sound whenever he could. 
Now, the important thing of this was he developed an intuition in people because he wasn't distracted by things that we're distracted by. What someone looks like or even the words they say. He was focused on the tone of their voice. So Volunteers for Liberty, his friends would um, vet people. Right? There was a vetting process. So they would, do, they would go through the vetting process. Like someone wanted to join, they would go through the normal vetting process with the other uh, kids uh, and other members. But the last step was a one-on-one interview with Jacques. So keep this in mind. He's 16 years old. And he would be behind a desk, and then the person would come in who wanted to join the group, and Jacques would ask a couple questions. But he never paid attention to what he said, what the person said. He only paid attention to how they said it. And he would listen to the tone of their voice. He was never distracted by the things that we are with our eyes. He listened to their soul. Truly, this is what he said. He said, I would listen to their soul through their voice. Now, he allowed 500 people into the group. 500 people went through the vetting process um, and passed. Some didn't make it. And every single one of those people were loyal to the cause except for one man. There was one guy that Jacques told his friends. He said, no, don't let this guy in. I don't trust him. One guy. And it was the one time that everyone else over, overruled Jacques. The one time. And it turned out that this was the guy who was an informant and got them all arrested by the Nazis. He was right every other time. And I love this story because here you have a kid with a very clear liability, right? He's blind. But he was able to develop that and turn that negative into his greatest asset. And during the war, right, he wanted to fight. He wanted to fight in the, in the field with his French brothers, but he knew he couldn't do that, but he had to fight somehow, and he came up with his own way. Now, we can apply this to our own lives as well. There's a negative thing in your life. Seemingly, there's a negative thing in your life that's stopping you or letting you make an excuse. I guarantee you there's a way to turn that into a positive. I guarantee you. I guarantee you. If Jacques could do it, there's a way to turn your liability into an asset if you want. And for our candidates for president to bring it back around, we'll see who can figure this out. I don't know who will do it, but the candidate who's ahead on March 2nd will be the person who can turn their negatives into positives and their opponent's positives into negatives, just like Chris Christie did with Marco Rubio. We'll see how Marco Rubio reacts tonight. one 888 Actually, you know, this might. I want to, I want to tell a story coming up next of micro-targeting. Uh, which I think is Ted Cruz's strongest asset. And as I was thinking that, huh, I wonder if someone could turn this into a negative. Probably. I'll explain it next. Mike Slater Show, the Blaze Radio Network. Spread the word. This is Mike Slater on the Blaze Radio Network. So we've been talking about micro-targeting uh, a lot, last couple of years actually, but uh, last couple of weeks here too, as it's been ramped up here for the campaign. T- Ted Cruz's campaign does it 
more than anyone. So when a volunteer knocks on your door, a Ted Cruz volunteer, they know not only what the most important issue is to you, but they know your personality. And they know your personality enough so that they know how to talk to you about an issue. And we, we use this example so that they know not only that you are a member of the NRA and you subscribe to ammo magazines uh, or gun magazines and you buy ammo, right? So they know those things. So they're like, okay, this guy's into the Second Amendment. But they know your personality. And, and one of the personality characteristics is neurotic. So if you rate highly on neuroticism, then they're going to talk to you about people breaking into homes and home protection, protecting your family. And that speaks to you. It's powerful. If you rate highly in openness, then they're going to, and you have a a young boy, young son, then they're going to talk to you about going hunting with your son, which is another second amendment issue, but they come at it in a different way. They're incredibly effective with it. Um, And and it makes it, it's more efficient. It's more efficient and effective. And I think that's why Cruz did so good in Iowa. I really do. And I think that's why he did better in New Hampshire than anyone expected. And I think it's going to get him a couple more points in every state. It's called micro targeting. Now, There's a company called Rocket Fuel that we're trying to reach out to and they don't want to come on the show. There's another company called Distillery that does this. Now, they take it a step further because they track your cell phone. And they know that if you are are expecting a baby or you have a young baby and if you are in fantasy football leagues or fantasy sports leagues, then you're more likely to vote for Marco Rubio. And they know that if you buy... School supplies and that you have uh, you buy kids clothing, then you tend to vote for Ted Cruz. And they know that if you buy do it yourself things like grills and lawnmowers and tools, then you probably are voted you're going to vote for Donald Trump. That interesting. And they can tell where you've been. So if you've been to Babies R Us, they know that you're probably going to vote for Rubio. If you go to Home Depot, they know you're probably going to vote for Ted Cruz. I'm not even kidding. And this is the micro targeting. That they do right now. Now, Ted Cruz does it more than anyone. It's a little bit creepy. Like, a lot of of people think it's creepy. So, it's going to be curious to see if Donald Trump, for instance, is going to use this asset that Cruz has and turn it into a liability for Cruz. We'll see. I don't know. We'll see if anyone can do that. If not, Cruz is going to make a lot of of positive. You're listening to Mike Slater. Part of the next generation of talk radio. On the Blaze Radio Network. Later in three, two, one. You're listening to Mike Slater, part of the next generation of talk radio, only on the Blaze Radio Network. Love Slater. Slater's America's the greatest country in the world. Thanks for being here. Um, I want to, hmm, yes, I think we will. We'll look at that. All right, so we're going to do, we're going to do Trump this hour, but we have four segments. We're gonna do a. We're gonna do two positive segments, two negative segments. I didn't plan it that way. Just some different thoughts I've had throughout the week, and they just happen to be two negative and two positive. So, if you can only listen to the first segment, and I don't even know which one, I'm, which point I'm gonna make first, but uh, if it turns out to be a positive segment, uh, I don't need emails. But how dare you support him? And then if you only listen to the second segment, I'm gonna get all these emails being like, "How dare you be against him?" Just some observations. 
You can take them how you like. Um, let's start off with. Hmm. Uh, let's. I mean, I'll make this point first. Double bind. So I was on CNN International uh, like two, three days ago, and it's fun. I, I like being on CNN International because my uh, uh, it's nine o'clock Pacific time at night, which is six a.m. London time where my brother is. And it's just funny to be on CNN International. Anyway, um, and they asked about Trump. And I predicted a couple months ago that Trump would win. I thought he'd win them all. That was my prediction. Not my desire. My prediction was that he'd win them all. I thought he'd even win Iowa. Uh, and and my, my point on CNN International was, why will he not win? Like at this point, and I'm, I'm asking this to people who don't want Trump to win. Okay, if you, are, if you desperately don't want Trump to win, why would he not at this point? What would he have to do to not win? Did you guys see the latest uh, South Carolina poll? I think he, I, I, I looked at it real quick. I think it's, he's still up by like 20 or f- at least 15. So like, that's crazy. Okay. If anyone else was up by that much, every, everyone would be like, oh, he's a shoe in. But for some reason, people, Trump's up by that much in every state, and no one thinks he's a shoe in yet. Still, I should say. Um, I don't know. I don't see what he would do. What could he possibly do? That would result in people being like, oh, okay, no, never mind. <laughs> I don't know. And I said on CNN International, I've told you this many times before, when Trump first came out, you know, everyone's like, oh, he's a clown, whatever. And I was sort of on that bandwagon. I was like, oh, this won't last, you know. And then he said that John McCain sat out the war. And I was like, oh, he's definitely done now, right? I mean, you can't, you can't say that. You know, prisoner of war sat out the war. <laughs> right? He said John McCain sat out the war in the Hanoi Hilton in Vietnam. And uh, I'll never forget. The next day, I heard all these people saying, you know what? I never thought about it like that. He did sit out the war. And I said, like, what? You may not like John McCain's politics, but you can't say the man sat out the war. That's ridiculous. So Trump survived that. I don't know what you, what could he possibly say that's worse? What could he say? I have no, I have no idea. So I don't. So my prediction is Trump will win because I don't know how he cannot win at this point. What, what will it take? And you're like, oh, you know, he set up such absurd things. Yeah, the people in New Hampshire heard them all. I don't. Know, we'll see. Um, but one thing that Trump is a master at, and we've been saying from the jump that Trump's not running a political campaign; he's running a business negotiation. He's really good at this. And one tactic for negotiating is to put people in double binds. Really hard to do. But if you can do it effectively, then you'll win every time. A double bind is when you put someone in a situation where there's no way out for them. Um, I guess one example would be, uh, this may be a more California example, but you know, last year or so, our government's telling us we're in this drought. Conserve water. So because we're in a drought, they raise the water prices. Okay, so we use less water to conserve water, but because we're using less water, the water agencies aren't charging people enough, so they're not they're not bringing enough money in, so they raise rates. Again, so they raised rates because there wasn't enough water, and then they raised rates because we weren't using enough water. So either way, they raised the rates. 
So we were in a double bind, the people of California. Either way, we lose. Trump has everyone in a double bind. So I'll give you a couple, a few simple examples. So Jeb. Jeb has a ton of money at this point still. He's going to use it right now. This is his last ditch effort in South Carolina. I think, is, is W coming out? George W. Bush, is he coming out on Monday? Has he come out yet? I don't think he's come out yet. People in the South love George W. Bush. So George W. Bush is going to come out, but he's also going to throw out a lot of money in a last-ditch effort to take down Trump. Everyone knows what, uh, how Trump has characterized Jeb's campaign, right? What, 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 what is Trump? What, the number one word that Trump uses against Jeb Bush, what is it? He's low energy. So Jeb is in a double bind. If he stays low energy, Jeb will lose. But if he becomes high energy and starts attacking Trump, then Trump is going to do what he did at the last debate. Do you remember there was this one scene? Oh, it's eminent domain. I want to talk about that later. We'll play the clip. Um, and Jeb goes after Trump. And you know what, Jeb's, you know what Trump says? Trump goes, oh, look at, look at Jeb trying to be a tough guy. Uh, look, look, look at this guy. Low energy Jeb trying to be a tough guy here, right? Not working, Jeb. Not working. You're much better low energy, Jeb. Stop trying to be high energy. Look at this guy. Can you believe this guy trying to, trying to come after me, trying to be high energy? Okay, good for you, Jeb. Good for you. Right? <laughs> that was his attack. So a Jeb can't win. If he's low energy, he loses. If he's high energy, he gets attacked and mocked. It's a double bind. Another example, media. He's got the media in a double bind. He'll be at a rally, 20,000 people there. And Trump will get up there and say, oh, can you believe the media? They're the worst. Everyone. Oh, there's a couple of good people. But most of everyone in the media, they're just terrible. Aren't they terrible? And the crowd's like, oh, yeah, they're the worst. He says, oh, they're so bad. They're so bad. They don't treat me fairly. They don't treat me fairly. You know what they don't do? We have these rallies with all these people here. You know what? They never pan the crowd. They never pan the crowd. They're the cameras. The cameras never pan the crowd to show how many people are here. They never do it. They never do it. Have you heard him do that? That's putting the media in a double bind. If you're the cameraman or you're the producer back at the booth, connect, you know, working the camera, what do you do next? You can either not pan the crowd, which is what Donald said. They never right. Then Trump wins because he's right and the media is biased. Or you cave and you pan the crowd, which does two things for Trump. First. It shows him to be powerful because he can command the biased media to do whatever he wants on his orders and they follow them. So it shows strength. So Trump wins and they pan the crowd and everyone gets to see all the 20,000 people who are there. Right? So he puts them in a double bind. Either way, Trump wins. The first time I heard Trump do that, uh, you know, he did that whole the routine right there, right? Oh, the media, they're the worst. They never pan the crowd. They don't, they don't treat me fairly. They never pan the crowd. The first time I heard, he, heard him do that, the cameras pan the crowd. And I've heard him do it a few more times since then. They don't pan the crowd anymore. <laughs> they don't pan it because they don't want to be ordered around by Trump. But in the end, it just reinforces what he says about them. They're double-binded. He does it all the time. Ted Cruz is in a double bind. Trump has framed Ted Cruz as 
a mean, slimy, lying jerk that nobody can get along with. So, Cruz can do two things. He can attack Trump, which proves that he is a mean, slimy jerk. Or he can be the super outgoing, friendly guy, which is not his thing necessarily, and that comes across as inauthentic. He's got him in double bind. I don't see a way that Trump doesn't win every state moving forward. Maybe one or two here or there, but pretty much every state. Do you? What would he have to do? The other day, he called the other leading candidate, Cruz, such a vulgar word. I'm pretty sure if I said it, I'd be fired. And no one, I mean, no one cared. He still won. This was just a couple days in front of Waspy, New Hampshire. He starts dropping the F-bomb from the stage. <laughs> what? I don't know. I just see that. I see Jeb and Cruz playing a ton of attack ads against Trump, and I see him wiggling out of them. I don't know how he doesn't win. And I say this to people who really don't want him to win. How does he not win? What would he have to do? I don't know. I I just paused there because I I don't know. I don't know what he. I'm thinking, well, you know, what if a year ago he said he was for abortion? Yeah, they've played those clips a million times. No one cares. I don't know. I don't know what he could do. I don't know what. Who would he have to insult next? What do you have to? What word? He dropped the f bomb from the. And I, I feel like that's a. If you really don't want Trump to win, that's a very defeatist uh, way to end a segment. I don't know how he doesn't win. That's my analysis. Someone asked me how is Trump going to win. I said no, no. I don't know how he's not going to win at this point. But one way he uh, he he freezes everyone is using these double binds. We'll see if he can pull one off tonight, too. one 888 All right, so that was a, uh, I don't even know what that was. Was that a positive? I think that was a positive Trump segment. His use of these double binds. I think it's genius. It's brilliant. smart. Um, I'll do a negative one next. We'll even things out. Mike Slater Show, the Blaze Radio Network. Spread the word. Jeb Bush is low energy. Mike Slater. We'll continue in a moment. On the Blaze Radio Network. Later on the Blaze Radio Network. Okay, so that was a positive Trump segment. Not not really positive for him, but just more analysis of how he's running his campaign. Uh, better than anyone's ever done it ever. Uh, I'm not saying I agree with him, or you should either, but I mean, everyone can look at that and say, this is different. Um, I don't think anyone, I don't think running for president will ever be the same ever again. Uh, to the point where I really think that Kanye West will run for president in 2020. I'm not, I'm not kidding. I'm, I'm like 80% certain he would run for president. Why wouldn't he? Is there, is there, is there a legitimate reason to think about it? You, you, of course you think it's absurd. Of course you do. I said, why? It's the most absurd thing I've ever heard. Why would he not run? Why would Ta- Kanye West not run for president? The whole thing's getting more absurd. Anyway, uh, so here's a negative on Trump. This was the last debate, and uh, poor old low-energy low Jeb 
uh, tried to get the best of uh, of the Donald here. Now, uh, you know what this is, eminent domain. Eminent domain is when the government comes and can take your property. Uh, I think the, it's in the Fifth Amendment, and it says, uh, nor shall private property be taken for public use without just compensation. And uh, Trump is just, just wrong on this. Clip 202. Thank you. We want to turn now to the issue of eminent domain, which is being debated right here in New Hampshire. And Josh McKelvin is the political director, the anchor of WMUR-TV. Josh. Thank you, David. And good evening, candidates. Mr. Trump, you have said, quote, I love eminent domain, which is the seizure of private property for the sake of the greater good, theoretically. You've tried to use the measure in business endeavors. You've said you'd support its use for the Keystone Pipeline Project. Here in New Hampshire, a project, though, known as the Northern Pass, would bring hydroelectric power from Canada into the northeastern grid. Do you see eminent domain as an appropriate tool to get that project done? Well, well, let me just tell you about eminent domain, because almost all of these people, actually Chris has it, but so many people have hit me with commercials and other things about eminent domain. Eminent domain is an absolute necessity for a country, for our country. Without it, you wouldn't have roads, you wouldn't have hospitals, you wouldn't have anything, you wouldn't have schools. You wouldn't have bridges. You need eminent domain. And a lot of the big conservatives that tell me how conservative they are, I think I'm more than they are, they tell me, oh, well, they all want the Keystone Pipeline. The Keystone Pipeline, without eminent domain, it wouldn't go 10 feet, okay? You need eminent domain. And eminent domain is a good thing, not a bad thing. And what a lot of people don't know, because they were all saying, oh, you're going to take their property. When somebody, when eminent domain is used on somebody's property, that person gets a fortune. They get at least fair market value, and if they're smart, they'll get two or three times the value of their property. But without eminent domain, you don't have roads, highways, schools, bridges, or anything. So eminent domain, it's not that I love it, but eminent domain is absolutely, it's a necessity for a country, and certainly it's a necessity for our country. So would that be yes on the Northern Pass project? Gosh, the, difference, the, difference, yes, yes, yes. the difference between eminent domain for public purpose, as Donald said, roads and infrastructure, pipelines and all that, that's for public purpose. But what Donald Trump did was use eminent domain to try to take the property of an elderly woman on the strip in Atlantic City. That is not public purpose. That is downright wrong. And here's the problem with that. Right. Okay. The problem was it was to tear Jeb, down. It was to Jeb tear wants down. To be, he wants to be a to tough guy. Down, he wants to be a tough guy tonight. It was to tear down I didn't the take house, the property. And the net I, result I was you tried. I didn't and take you the lost property. In the, court. the woman ultimately didn't want to do that. I that is not away, true. And, and the simple fact that I didn't. is to turn this into a limousine parking lot for his casinos is not a public use. And in Florida, based on what we did, we made that impossible. It is part of our constitution. That's the better approach. That is the conservative approach. Mr. Trump, take 30 seconds. Well, let, let me just, you know, he wants to be a tough guy. A lot of times, you'll have, you'll have, and, and it doesn't work very well with How tough is it to take property from an elderly talk, woman? Let me talk. Quiet. How tough is it? A lot of it? times, a lot of times, that's all of his donors and special interests out there. <laughs> so, that's what it is. That's what, and by the way, let me just tell you, we needed tickets. You can't get them. You know who has the tickets for the, I'm talking about to the television audience? Donors, special interest, the people that are putting up the money. So it is. The RNC told us we have all donors in the audience. And the reason they're not loving me, the 
reason they're not, excuse me, the reason they're not loving me is I don't want their money. I'm going to do the right thing for the American public. I don't want their money. I don't need their money. And I'm the only one up here that can say that. Eminent domain, the Keystone Pipeline, do you consider that a private job? I you, consider you it a public that, use. No, no, let me ask you, Jeb. Do you consider the Keystone Pipeline use. private? It's is it public, public or private? It's a public use. Oh, really? A, a public use? No, yeah. it's a private job. It's a public it's use. It's a private Established job. Established by the courts, federal, state you courts. You wouldn't have the Keystone Pipeline that you want so badly without eminent domain. All right, exactly. You yeah, wouldn't have right, massive... Excuse me, Josh. You wouldn't have... All right, you stop it there. So, uh, you're, first of all, you heard that Trump do the whole, oh, tough guy over here, right? That's what we were talking about the last time. Um, but let's talk about that issue. Trump is could not be more wrong. If the government wants to build a road, I don't think anyone has any misunderstanding that that is a proper use of eminent domain. But taking someone's house so that a developer can build a mall, that is a huge problem. No one has any, no one has any problems, even with the concept, really. I, I don't know, of the government in certain proper circumstances taking someone's private property giving them just compensation. It's in the Constitution. But you can't just take someone's private property and give it to someone else. That's completely antithetical to the Constitution and the Declaration of Independence. Without our private property, we have nothing. Life, Liberty, and Pursuit of Happiness was originally written by John Locke, Life, Liberty, and Property. And James Madison, the father of the Constitution, he made the argument that there's different kinds of property. You have property to your opinion. You have property to your life. You have property to your thoughts and your choices and also property of your possessions. And he said, where an excess of power prevails, property of no sort is duly respected. So if you got someone who's in big time power position, then property, none of the properties are going to be respected, whether it's the property of your opinion, your life or your possessions. An eminent domain abuse is a direct violation of your right to property. Because if the government can take your physical property, what's to stop them from taking over any other type of property you have? Your opinion, your thoughts, your actions, whatever. You have property, property rights to these things. It's a human right. So Trump knows this. <laughs> and he has to know that we can understand the difference here between taking it private property build a road versus to build a mall so good on jeb for calling him out on it this is mike slater part of the next generation of talk radio on the blaze radio network the next generation of talk radio this is mike slater okay now a, a uh, positive thing about trump or the, the whatever's going on regarding trump i think this is more just fascinating take a listen to this and try to make sense of it this is 10 south carolina voters uh they start off they're in a little focus group they start off talking about Cruz, and then they talk about trump but the question at the end about who they think is going to win. That's what we need to talk about. Here it is. Ted Cruz. Trustworthy. Very good appeal. Believable. I like that he knows the Constitution inside and out. Steadfast. Likeable. When he stands for something, he's like a pit bull. 
very religious individual. Actually, last week we were talking at church. A lot of people just had a very positive things to say about him. So Sandy's gotten positive information about him from church and folks there. Who else has gotten positive information about him and where have you gotten it from? Glenn Beck show. Yeah. On the radio. Yeah, I listen to Glenn Beck too and he's very much a crew supporter and you know, I've listened to him for years and I trust his opinion. So we're going to talk more in detail about some of these folks now. Donald Trump. He's very brave to have no political background and to jump out there and run for the highest office in our nation. He's espousing what the people are feeling. What do you think of the way he's talked about his, his religious beliefs? I'm not sure he's such a religious person. I, I think he's relatively honest, but I don't believe him on his what he says about his religion. Raise your hand if you disagree with Kerry and Dan and think that Mr. Trump is, is a religious person. Anybody disagree? So you all agree he's not. But you all said you didn't think he was as religious as he says he is. Raise your hand if you're troubled by that. Yeah, everyone I want to show you one hand. more clip of Mr. Trump. He gets the nomination, they're going to sue his ass up. Knock this out of ISIS. And you can tell them to go themselves. Oh, wow. wow. You all have a pretty strong reaction to this. Is it something that you consider disqualifying or just not oh, your yes. cup of tea? It's crass. It's just, yeah. it's, it's, not, it's not professional. It's just comes It's not how you want your president of the United States to, to present. This is to, it's not that kind of an image. That's the bad image. This is who's going to be negotiating with other world leaders. Jacob, do you think the aspects of his life and, and, and what we saw in the clip, is, are those the kind of things that might hurt him more in South Carolina than they did in Iowa and New Hampshire? The Bible Belt? Yeah. Oh, yeah. That, this, we don't tell it. We don't tell it. This is the belt buckle right here. <laughs> <laughs> Who do you think is going to win the South Carolina primary? I'm afraid Trump. 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 Probably Trump. Probably Trump. 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 Unfortunately, I think Trump. Ted Cruz. Trump. If your only two choices in this race were Donald Trump and Ted Cruz, who would you vote for? Ted Cruz. Ted Cruz. Ted Cruz. Trump. Cruz. 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 Undecided. Cruz. Cruz. So now I want to try to talk about a little confusion I'm having now. You, you, you almost all said Trump was going to win the primary. You also all said you like Cruz a lot. So you're all South Carolina voters. So I'm confused why you're so high on Cruz for the most part, and yet you think Trump's going to win. One thing that Trump does is he, he has a very passionate crowd of people that follow him. And I think the thing that's going against a lot of the other candidates is people are tired of the same old, same old. They want somebody who is an outsider. And he is that person. All right. So that's, isn't that interesting? Just take a step back. Forget about who you like and don't like and all the rest. Take a step back from this and, and, and watch it, what's happening here. So everyone there really likes Ted Cruz. Um, and then they say nice, you know, kind of nice things about Trump too. But still in the end, they, you know, about his religion, they, they think he's a phony and, and that bothers him. And they play the clips of him swearing. And it sounds like, you, you can tell by their reaction even just, Listening to it, it sounds like they've never heard those clips before. So I wonder if Cruz can get, you know, can play those a lot in the next uh, week, and maybe that maybe that could make a, a difference in the buckle of the Bible Belt. I mean, their faces, like everyone there, there's there's men and women, young and old, everyone here those uh, here Cruz dropped the f bomb, and they are visceral, viscerally bothered by it. They jump back and they're disgusted by it. But anyway, all that being said, who do you think's going to win? Uh, Trump, Trump. Trump, Trump, yeah, definitely Trump, probably Trump, Trump, unfortunately Trump, Trump, Trump. <laughs> like, wait, what? Who are you voting for? Oh, Cruz, love Cruz, 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 Cruz. Wait, but who do you think is going to win? Trump, 
Trump. <laughs> How can that be? How can that be? How can you have all these people voting for Cruz, but they all think Trump's going to win? Simple. Trump is a master at owning the media. And not only at owning it, but making it seem like his win is inevitable. This is why he keeps bringing up the polls. It's not just arrogance to inflate his own ego. That's how, I think that's how a lot of people interpret it. They're like, oh my gosh, this guy keeps going on and about, on and about how he's winning in the polls to make himself feel good. That's not what that is. It's to make you feel like his win is inevitable. It's to convince you to jump on the winning bandwagon. Because he knows, Donald Trump knows, he's sold a lot of things in his life. He knows that people jump on bandwagons and follow the crowd. He knows, because he's sold a lot of things in his life, that we are social animals, we follow the pack, and we follow the crowd. Everything that we do, pretty much everything we do is to fit in, really. I mean, think about that. Pretty much everything we do is to fit in. Every advertising campaign is based on it. Right? Drink this beer, eat this food. Drive this car. Look at all the attractive people doing these things. Look how much fun these people are having. Everybody's doing it. There's a reason why the number one argument made on playgrounds across the country is everybody's doing it. Because it works. When, when a kid says, but everybody's doing it, that appeals to the emotional part of our brain. Not the thinking part, the emotional part. Because just because everybody's doing it, that is not a reason to do anything. I can't think of any scenario where that's a reason to do something. Because everybody's doing it. That's not, that in and of itself, that's not an argument at all. But it's made all the time. Because it appeals to the emotional part of our brain. And we like it because we like to conform. One of my favorite, there's a bunch of conformity experiments. There's a ton of them. And they all prove the same thing in different ways. But one I just came across the other day. There was an experiment done. And they had uh, two, a couple who were the scientists, and they were in on it. And they invited a bunch of other couples to go out to dinner in a nice New York City restaurant. A bunch of strangers, right? So you had the one couple and then a bunch of strangers um, go out to a nice, nice New York City restaurant. And throughout the experiment, throughout the dinner, the one couple who was in on it, they broke all the table, man- table manner rules. All of them. They licked their fingers. They uh, picked at their teeth. They reached across the table. They burped. Right? They did like nothing else. Like you're not. They broke all the rules. And everyone else at the table is like, what's up with them? Who are those weirdos? No one took the bait. Meaning no, everyone else kept their manners intact. Until Dessert. And when the dessert came, the, the couple who was in on it, they told everyone else, they said, hey, you know what would be fun? If we all picked up the, the piece of mango off of our plate with our mouths, no hands. Let's eat dessert with no hands. And wouldn't you believe it? Every single couple at the table started doing it. They all put their hands at their side and started slamming their face into the plate like a dog. And some of the couples even passed the fruit from their mouth to their partner's mouth, right? Right in the middle of this fancy New York City restaurant. They never would have done that. And I know what you're thinking. Right now you're thinking, oh, Slater, that's a ridiculous story. I would never do such a thing. I guarantee you, if you asked them before they went to this dinner, 
hey, do you think by at the end of this dinner you're going to be uh, eating food off the plate with your mouth? No hands? I'm <laughs> pretty sure they'd say no. But they did. Why? Because that one couple, they broke all the rules, and that gave permission to everyone else to do the same. It's a mob mentality. And I, sh- I share this because the everybody else is doing it argument is way more powerful than we think it is. I, I guarantee you, most people listening right now are thinking, Slater, no, come on. It's- There's no way that people are going to vote for president because they think everybody else is doing it. What's all this talk about momentum then? I think suddenly we kind of understand this because we talk about momentum. Oh, Donald Trump's got a lot of momentum out of New Hampshire. Who cares? Why would that? Okay. If the everybody else is doing it argument didn't mean anything, who would care? Who, why would South Carolina care at all if, New Ham- if Trump won New Hampshire? It would mean nothing. But we talk about this momentum. There's momentum because there, it's influential, right? What happened in New Hampshire, people in South Carolina must be like, well, geez, let's see. They voted for this guy in New Hampshire. Maybe I should give him a second look or whatever. So the momentum's a real thing, and everybody's doing it is very powerful. That's why Trump says over and over and over again how he's winning in all the polls. Because we like to conform. And it worked. Look at those 10 people who are Cruz supporters all said that they think Trump is going to win. It's worked on all of them. It's like he's a darn hypnotist. And I guarantee you, if Trump can keep the perception that everybody else is voting for me, I guarantee you that some of those Cruz supporters in that room you just heard from, there were 10 of them. I guarantee you that some of those Cruz supporters, when they go inside that booth, they'll vote for Trump. They like Cruz. They don't like Trump. But they'll vote for him anyway. Because the everybody else is doing it force is that powerful. It shouldn't be. Please don't get me wrong. It should have no influence on who you're going to vote for president. But it does. Just another reason why I don't see Trump losing. That was such a powerful moment in that focus group. Think about how bizarre that is. Wouldn't you think the guy you're supporting is, would also be the guy who's going to win just because you like them, right? You're like, oh, yeah, I really like Cruz. Who's going to win? Oh, Cruz is going to win. He's great. Every single one of them said Trump. That is powerful and weird. <laughs> That's never happened before. can't imagine it. one 93 The everybody else is doing an argument. Trump's using it every day. And once he wins South Carolina, I don't how can you how could he lose that point forward? I don't I don't know. one 93 All right, I'm gonna end with a uh, a negative. So we did a what do we do? A positive Trump, and then a negative Trump, and then a positive Trump, and we'll wrap up with a negative Trump. I'll be even. Mike Slater Show, the Blaze Radio Network. Spread the word. You're listening to Mike Slater on the Blaze Radio Network. Mike Slater on the Blaze Radio Network. All right. Last Trump segment here. 
So we did a, what, a positive on no yeah positive and Trump and then another negative comments of Trump and then a positive and then a negative and I think they're all true. Isn't that amazing? I can uh, comment on someone and some things can be uh, negative and some things can be positive and I think they can all be true at the same time. Uh, meaning I don't have to completely bash them and I don't have to completely praise them. Uh, crazy concept. Uh, Trump often says, often says that he will surround himself with the smartest people to do things with him, for him. So when he wins, he's going to get the smartest, toughest people to make deals with China and to come up with different trade policies and run the military and all that stuff. He's going to get the best people to join him in the White House. You've heard him say that a thousand times. Well, after Iowa, he said on Morning Joe, quote, well, I think we could have used a ground game, a term I wasn't even familiar with. You know, when you say ground game, I say, what the heck is that? Well, now I'm familiar with it. I think in retrospect, we should have had a better ground game. I would have had a, I would have funded a better ground game. But, you know, people told me that my ground game was fine. And by most standards, it was. Did you catch that? Oh, did you catch the problem? He said, people told me my ground game was fine. In other words, he got bad advice. So Trump says over and over, I'm going to get the best. I'm going to surround myself with the best people. But he was not able to find the best people to run his campaign in Iowa, which is a relatively straightforward process. So he took bad advice from people who weren't the best. Is that an unfair assessment? Is that, now, maybe it's unfair because he did get 24,000 people, right? And pretty good in an evangelical state, all the rest. But I don't know. What, what, it just bothers me that there's no accountability in that, uh, in that sentence. Great leaders take accountability for the mistakes that they make and people around them make. I'll give you an example. Thomas Nelson's a publishing company. A few quarters ago, they did not hit their sales target. And the head of the company wrote a letter to the board. And I just want to read parts of it here. He said, because the details don't matter. But he says, as publisher, I take full ownership of failing to hit October's target. I also take full responsibility to lead the turnaround to overcome the shortfall. The operating results reflect my leadership decisions, including some key factors below. And I'll just read a few lines here. Um, I must be smarter about this in the future. I overestimated how easy it would be. I haven't acquired enough blank, blank, blank. I need to create a better balanced revenue plan. I won't let this happen again. The entire report is I, 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 I. He never talked about any below, anyone below him. He never blamed other people. He never wrote the word they didn't do this. He didn't say we didn't do this. And also there's no self-pity here. There's no wallowing. It's like, oh, poor me. I didn't know. What the, it's just accepting responsibility for failure. And then outlining how he's going to move forward. You know, Trump says... I got bad advice. People told me my ground game was fine. You know, this publisher didn't say, you know, people told me that I, we didn't do, that, that this would be fine or whatever. It says, I made this decision and this was the wrong decision. That's a pretty basic leadership skill set. We'll see. one 888 Slater Radio on Twitter. Mike Slater Show, the Blaze Radio Network. Spread the word. You're listening to Mike Slater on the Blaze Radio Network.
Jack Slater in three, two, one. You're listening to Mike Slater, part of the next generation of talk radio, only on the Blaze Radio Network. Wow, Slater Crusaders, we have some. Uh, wow, I don't even. I don't even know. Uh, uh, whew, there's some news. Uh, it looks like Supreme Court Justice Scalia has passed away. Um, I, I just heard this 10 seconds ago. Uh, natural causes uh, found in a resort in West Texas. He was 79 years old. One of the most conservative justices on the court. One of the most brilliant justices. Um, has passed away. The Texas newspapers are reporting this, and we have a statement from Governor Abbott in uh, in Texas. He said, Justice uh, Scalia was a man of God, a patriot, and an unwavering defender of the written constitution and the rule of law. He was the solid rock who turned away so many attempts to depart from and distort the constitution. His fierce loyalty to the Constitution set an unmatched example, not just for judges and lawyers, but for all Americans. We mourn his passing, and we pray that his successor on the Supreme Court will take his place as a champion of the written Constitution and the rule of law. Cecilia and I extend our deepest condolences to the family, and we will keep our, our thoughts in prayer. Wow. Um, this is... This is yeah, so if this is true, because this is just happening right now, if this is true, this is huge. Um, obviously, we can say all the obvious things about his family and, and all the rest, right? Uh, but the makeup of the Supreme Court right now depends on Scalia being the conservative voice and foundation. We have said, I think Glenn said a couple weeks ago, the single most important issue in this next election, and I mean this, more than terrorism, more than the economy, not the single most important issue is the Supreme Court justices. Um, Flip, can you maybe confirm, I think it's something like at the time of the next, like when the next president, uh, president takes office, I think there will be four justices in their 80s. I think it's four. Now, of course, there's nine. So four in their eighties. So that means in the next four to eight years, so this next president, in the next four to eight years, maybe four of them will be retired, if not more. Now, we've said before that a president lasts for four to eight years, but a bureaucracy lasts forever. Yes, a bureaucracy can last forever, but these Supreme Court decisions last generations as well uh is that one two three let's see so uh i'm looking at the ages here so scalia is the oldest no second oldest one two so so kennedy is 79 ruth bader ginsburg is 82 uh, and then Breyer, 77. So I guess three would, three would have been in their 80s, and then one, you know, 78, right? So 
a lot of Supreme Court decisions were going to be made. Um, but they were supposed to be made in the next term. The, 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 to replace Scalia, it's going to happen now under this president. Imagine if there was one more Scalia on the court for Obamacare. Things would be very different right now. These generational decisions, deeply profound, lasting court decisions. And I say it's the most important because the erosion of our Constitution, the final stop is the Supreme Court. The final stop. If, it, if there's, if there's a, a, a question of federal government power, I suppose let's do the first stop would be Congress, right? We're supposed to elect 535 congressmen and senators who would never pass something that is unconstitutional. But let's say that that tripwire fails. Then it goes to the president. The president's job is to defend the Constitution of the United States against enemies foreign and domestic. Now, enemy is a strong word. In this case, I'm describing Congress here. But if Congress passes a bill that is outright unconstitutional, that bill is an enemy to the Constitution. And the president's job is to veto it so that the Constitution remains strong and is not eroded any further. If that fails, then we have the Supreme Court. Now, we've said before, and I think we said this when Obamacare passed the Supreme Court. Um, that's not the right word, but you know what I mean. Uh, I said, what a shame that it even got this far. What a shame that, that Congress couldn't be principled enough, that the, the uh, president wouldn't be principled, that we didn't win the election, the conservatives didn't win the election, that we lost, and this is what happens, elections have consequences. And here we are, and we have to put it into the hands of nine people in black robes. And they got it wrong. The last failsafe failed. They're not perfect. Supreme Court's been wrong often. Often. But they're the last check. And among those nine, Scalia was one of, if not the most conservative. And the strongest defender of the Constitution. And therefore, I would put him as the most important. Now I'm I'm torn here, and of course, please please don't think I'm I'm being insensitive when I'm not thinking about his family, and uh, and you know the man himself and his personal life. Please, please, we're all on the same page with that. But this has uh, deep generational political implications. For instance, there's an immigration case coming to the Supreme Court in uh, a couple months here. I don't know how the timing of this all works. I, I honestly have no idea. Like, uh, There's eight members. I think the they were going to start ruling and deciding on some of these in the next like couple months. So I don't know if we appoint someone right away. I don't know how long the process takes. I have no clue. So we'll find out about that soon. Um, but clearly Scalia was going to be a vote Against the president, against the president's unconstitutional actions when it comes to 
immigration. I, I, let's go into this immigration case real quick here, just as an example. Uh, we're not getting in too much into the weeds, but this was the very first time that the take care clause of the Constitution was ever going to be challenged in the Supreme Court, meaning the president's job, according to the Constitution, is to take care that the laws are faithfully executed. The immigration laws say X, whatever it is that in question that's being uh, debated. The immigration laws say this, this, you, you must do this. The federal government must do this. And the president says, meh, I'm not going to do that. No, no. The Constitution says you, the president, must do that. You must take care that the laws are faithfully executed. So now it's going to the Supreme Court, and the Supreme Court is going to decide if the president must enforce those laws. Very fascinating question, very important question. And no doubt Scalia would come back and say, well, yeah, sure enough, there is the Constitution. The president must do this. (laughs) Sandy just sent a uh, text or a tweet. She says a new justice will depend upon his or her passage through the Senate. Will the Senate hold out for a strong constitutionalist? No. Mm-mm. Why would they? Why would they? You entrust the Republicans to do this one right? Nah. The president won't even. He'll never. He'll never appoint a strong constitution. Why would President Obama appoint a strong constitutionalist ever? Even if it was the twentieth person he recommended. Why? Why? Why would he appoint a strong constitutionalist under any circumstance? Nah, he won't. And even if he and the Republicans won't hold out, they're not strong enough. They're not principled enough. The most important, I'll repeat myself, the most important issue for electing the next president, the number one priority is who they're going to choose for the Supreme Court, because that will outlast their term by generations. The president can pass a bill and it can be, uh, you know, another bill can come and cancel it or change it or this or that. But these Supreme Court decisions last uh, generations. Uh, If you're just tuning in, uh, Supreme Court Justice Scalia is being reported, uh, has passed away. 1-888-900-3393-1888. Yes, and this is, uh, it's been confirmed by now all the, 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 Credible news sources. 1-888-900-3393. Scalia, uh, appointed by President Ronald Reagan, has passed away at the age of 79. 1-888-900-3393. Slater Radio on Twitter. And uh, look forward to see how the Republican candidates handle this issue at the debate tonight. 1-888-900-3393. Mike Slater Show, The Blaze Radio Network. Spread the word. You're listening to Mike Slater on the Blaze Radio Network. Mike Slater. Hey, Slater Crusaders, I'm uh, a loss right now. 
just tuning in, uh, Justice Scalia, one of the nine Supreme Court justices, has uh, passed away of natural causes, it seems. This was on uh, today. Just happened now. Um, at a resort in West Texas. He was 79 years old. Uh, he arrived at this ranch yesterday to attend a private party. And he did not show up for breakfast. So someone went to his room and uh, and found him there. This all just happened. is just breaking right now. Uh, Justice Scalia, one of the strongest defenders of liberty. Um, one of the most important people on the Supreme Court. A strict constitutionalist. A believer. Brilliant man. Now, uh, no longer here on the uh, to, to support freedom in, 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 in any way, um, but no longer also to be one of the strongest defenders on the court, uh, giving this president uh, another uh, nomination before his term is almost up. one 933 93 um, I don't know. We, we, said, we said for a long time, I know Glenn has, that this is the most important issue of the election, and, and it's going to be uh, obviously uh, extremely important in the debate tonight. Uh, Ted Cruz has Supreme Court experience, um, so I'm really curious what he's going to say about this. But each of the candidates tonight are going to say something along the lines of uh, how important it is to nominate uh, strong constitutionalists to the court. They're the last defender of liberty uh, that our country has. Um, And and I hate that because they're people and they make mistakes and they can often, if they don't stick to their duty, uh, be swayed by public opinion just the same as anyone else can. They're not oracles of truth. They're not perfect. They're just, in many cases, political hacks wearing black robes. And we put them in office and we put them in their position here and we think that they're going to be uh, defenders of the Constitution uh, no matter what their own personal opinions, but that's not how it works. Almost ever. But it did for Scalia. The Constitution for him was the most important thing. That was his job. And he did it in, in, a, in a unique, witty, powerful way, always. What does this mean for the court now? Well, there's going to be plenty of analysis coming, uh, moving forward. Don't you worry about that. But this is a Reagan appointment. So I believe the last two Obama appointments for the Supreme Court were going from progressive justice to a progressive justice. So it was, it was a wash. Unfortunate still, right? Because if there was, uh, you know, a Republican in office, then we would have put in a, uh, you know, a, a strict conservative just like Scalia. Um, even W's appointment turned out to be, you know, meh. He's the, he was the swing vote in uh, in the Obamacare ruling. So conservatives had an advantage on the court. And I don't want to say conservatives because I don't, I don't want to say like it's us versus them, like it's a Republican nominee versus a Democrat nominee. That's not really what I mean as much as someone who understands their job on the Supreme Court, defending the Constitution, defending liberty, versus someone who doesn't, who just sees themselves as a, as a political agent. 
That's what I mean more so than Republican or Democrat or even conservative and progressive, because I don't care if you're a progressive who's on the Supreme Court if you defend the Constitution. Now, you're thinking, well, Slater, you can't do both those things at the same time. If you defend the Constitution, you will be a conservative. I'm totally with you. But you know what I mean? I, I, I don't I don't care if it's a president, if it's a president Obama appointee, if they defend the Constitution. It's just that he doesn't want someone who will defend the Constitution. And he's going to appoint someone who doesn't want to defend the Constitution. They just want to get their progressive agenda through the courts. Just like FDR when he wanted to pack the courts with more members. FDR couldn't get his uh, some of his programs through the Supreme Court. So his plan was to add more members to the Supreme Court. And, of course, he'd get to pick them. So he couldn't get a majority of the nine to support him. So he's like, ah, why don't we just throw seven more or eight more people on the court and I'll appoint them all and that way I'll have the majority again. Right, that's what these political hacks want to do, and and to lose someone like Scalia, who would stand strong no matter what the opposition, if it was the truth. That's uh, that's a big loss to the future of our country. Again, just think back to Obamacare. Oh heck, think back even further back. Think back to separate but equal. I mean, think how different our country would be if the Supreme Court always made the right decision. And I know that's a too high of a standard. You'd never expect, you know, someone like any group of people to always make the right decision but imagine if they did now i think that so much in our country would would be different i'd argue better now how do we get as close to possible as always right obviously we're in the same boat here i think we need conservative members of the court who also themselves are not activists not looking for an activist on the court in either direction i want someone when a case comes before them they go back to the Constitution with a strict originalist interpretation. To do anything less than that is an injustice to the document that they are put there to defend. And dare I say, a disgrace to the robe they wear and the institution they're a part of. Scalia always understood that. We'll see how this uh, affects the debate tonight. Um, I think whoever whoever can best, and it's going to be Cruz, <laughs> honestly, in my, my prediction, whoever can best articulate the importance of Scalia and the importance of having a conservative on the court, I think almost in a way can, like, can snap the American people out of their days almost and be like, okay, everyone, like, this is for real now. This is important. The, the, like we're talking generational changes here, and maybe this can be now known as the single most important issue. It's going to be, and, and I'm meaning Supreme Court nominations. And I think in the end that could be a, a plus for Ted Cruz because he's arguing in front of the Supreme Court and all the rest. Um, if he can make that argument in a very personal way. I'm sure he knows Scalia, right? If he can make this in a very personal way, then I think it can be very powerful for him and very important for, uh, for all of us and for the rest of the American people to realize that this is, this, is, this is for keeps right now. No more messing around. Let's really think about this decision. And we'll see if the Senate is uh, strong enough to hold out on the president's appointee and uh, at least get someone moderate. Maybe that's the best we can hope for. Justice Scalia passed away today at the age of 79. Mike Slater Show, the Blaze Radio Network. Spread the word. This is Mike Slater, part of the next generation of talk radio. On the Blaze Radio Network.
888-900-3393. Mike Slater is on. Slater Crusaders just heard uh, about a half an hour ago now, just before we went on this hour, that uh, Justice Scalia, Supreme Court Justice Scalia, has passed away at the age of 79, natural causes, in a hotel room in Texas. Um, We've said multiple times that the most important issue of this election is the Supreme Court nominations that the next president will probably get. Uh, and it's probably three to four. Scalia was the second oldest person on the court, and he was 79, uh, just about to be 80. Um, but this president now will get that privilege. There are 54 Republicans in the Senate who will confirm that nomination, 54 Republicans. And we'll see if they are willing to stand strong as this lame dunk duck president um, makes his final, lasting, and dare I say most drastic change of his eight years on our country. And that will be this final Supreme Court justice nomination that will switch the court, undoubtedly, from leaning conservative to leaning progressive. Uh, Justice Scalia was a firm defender in a dead constitution. Now, we have people who believe the Constitution is a living document and those who believe that it is dead. Now, please don't think that when I say dead, I mean useless. I mean dead as in unchanging. Of course, except that, that, the process, the amendment process and all that. But Scalia was a firm believer uh, uh, as an originalist. He says, if you somehow, this is Scalia back in um, 2008. He said, if you somehow adopt a philosophy, I love that somehow, if you somehow adopt a philosophy, that the Constitution itself is not static, but rather it morphs from age to age to say whatever it ought to say, which is probably whatever the people would want it to say, you've eliminated the whole purpose of a Constitution. And that's essentially what the living Constitution leaves you with. Right? What's the point? What's the point of having a constitution if you can change it on a whim? And I I don't mean a whim as in the amendment process. That's not what I'm talking about. I don't don't even have to make that disclaimer anymore. The amendment process is put there by our founding fathers to to change with the times. I'm totally good at it. Now, that doesn't mean that what they put in there is a good idea, hence the 13th Amendment, the Income Tax Amendment, and some others. But that's a process, and that's fine. We can work with that. I just mean in the way the Constitution sits, resides, and reads right now, you can't just make stuff up about it. But that's what many progressives on the court, in Congress, and who have been in the White House wish to do. It's a living document, which means what it says is not what it means. What it says is whatever you want it to mean. <laughs> How can that possibly be right? How can that possibly be right? How can, if if the document says, this is the job of the president, or let me flip it around. Here are the things that Congress can do, and they can't do any other things. Oh, but if there's something else that you want done, it goes to the states. Very clear, right? Here's the things you can do, Article 1, Section 8. If there's anything else you want to do that's not here, you can't do it. Sorry. But. You can give it to the state. We're going to give the, 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 power, the states uh, keep those powers. That's pretty standard. You, in a living document, like what's the point of even having it? Why even 
why have a list of things the federal government can do if the federal government can indeed do all the things they want to do? <laughs> right? And that's why it's so important to have someone like Scalia on there. Because when the federal government comes to him with, with something that's not in the list, he's the one of the only guys who says, well, wait a second, it's not in the list here. Oh, well, you know, it's, it's a living document. No, no, it's static. Here, here's the list. Change the list. You want to you add your thing to it? Go ahead. There's a process to do that. But in, in the meantime, no, 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 no. We can't. It's not here. That's the type of principled leadership that the court had and is now lost. You know, on abortion, he said, the Constitution contains no right to abortion. He says it is not to be found in the long-standing traditions of our society, nor can abortion be logically deduced from the text of the Constitution. He was uh, given a ruling on uh, a right to die case, which is a topic that's been discussed that we talked about a couple times here. And he talked about the court's lack of authority on this issue, which I think is also another uh, important principle of Scalia. He says the point at which life becomes worthless, in, his, in quotes, and the point at which the means necessary to preserve it become extraordinary or inappropriate are neither set forth in the Constitution nor known to the nine justices of this court any better than they're known to nine people picked random by the Kansas City Telephone Directory. How about that humility? Again, that understanding of, of what his role is and what the Constitution's role is. He says, here's a question, which is an important question, no doubt, but it can't be answered by the Constitution. There's nothing in the Constitution about when life is worthless and when it's appropriate to take it or keep it when it comes to health care. It's, it's not in the Constitution, and I don't know. <laughs> I got, I, me and these other eight guys with uh, people with uh, black robes on, like, we have no idea when, when it's appropriate or whatnot, any more than, than nine random people on the street. He says, therefore, even when it is demonstrated by clear and convincing evidence that a patient no longer wishes certain measures to be taken to preserve his life, it's up to the citizens of Missouri to decide through their elected officials whether that wish will be honored. That is such a principled position to take. I don't just mean on this issue. I just mean on, on issues as a Supreme Court justice, right? They come to you with a question and... If you're a progressive, if you're a, a, an activist, you're going to come to an opinion. But that doesn't mean doing your job. Scalia did his job. He defended the Constitution. And when there was a question that had nothing to do with the Constitution or can't be answered by the Constitution, then it's not appropriate for him to, to deal with it. That's fine. I'll give you one last example, Obamacare. He said, the court holds that when the Patient Protection and Affordable Care Act, when Obamacare says, exchange established by the state, it means exchange established by the state or the federal government. That is, of course, quite absurd, and the court's 21 pages of explanation make it no less absurd. Scalia always had the funniest... uh his decisions we're going to miss that originalist interpretation on the president this president's going to have the opportunity to appoint someone uh, with quite a different interpretation 
What does that mean for some decisions moving forward? I, I don't know what it means for this court um, session, this Supreme Court session. I don't know how quickly they, they appoint someone or, or won't appoint someone. So I'm not sure. You know, there's, an, uh, there's a uh, um, immigration court case. Oh, gosh, there was another. Oh, there was a teacher's union, a California teacher's union Supreme Court case uh, that was going to be ruled on coming up here soon, which was a very big deal as well. So I, I don't know. I don't know what they're, they're going to do for this one, but just think moving forward. Right, Obama's going to appoint someone who's 50 years old, right? So we get another 80 years, or excuse me, 30 years of, of someone who's going to be an activist on the court. Very dangerous. Can the Republicans in, in the Senate stick together? It's 54 of them. You need 50. Can they stick together? I guess they need 51. Because the uh, vice president's the president of the uh, Senate, so he can break a tie. So we need 51 of the 54 Republicans to stand up against a Supreme Court nomination. Because, again, this is a switch. When it comes to ideology, this is a switch. I don't want to call it say idea. When it comes to your principles, your conservative principles, uh, or constitutional principles, this is a switch. Uh, the, the other two Obama appointments were from uh, Democrat to or progressive to a progressive. Okay, okay, unfortunate. Progressive to a progressive. Okay, unfortunate, but it's still the same. This is going to go from a from one of the nation's strongest and fiercest defenders of liberty to another uh dare I say, uh, Nancy Pelosi in a black robe. And that's that's what that's what's going to happen next. Very sad. It's all up to the Senate. Do you have faith in them? one 800 Just tuning in, Justice Scalia passed away today at the age of 79 uh, while at a uh, resort area in uh, West Texas. Second oldest member of the Supreme Court and now President Obama perhaps will have a final opportunity to cement his legacy Slater Radio on Twitter Mike Slater Show the Blaze Radio Network spread the word Mike Slater on the Blaze Radio Network This is Mike Slater. Uh, this is uh, this is interesting. So, this is uh, Con Con Carroll, who is Mike Lee, Senator Mike Lee's communications director. Mike Lee, uh, probably the most conservative senator, right? Uh, Utah Republican. So, his communications director just tweeted, "What is less than zero? The chances of Obama successfully appointing a Supreme Court justice to replace Scalia. He said, if anything, this will put a full stop to all Obama judicial nominees going forward. So, obviously, when we heard that Justice Scalia passed away, our first thoughts are, with any loss of life, horrible, and thoughts of the family and all the rest. But looking at it from a political perspective, that's, I mean, that's your first thought after, uh, politically, is, jeez, now we get, Obama gets one last Supreme Court 
nomination before he leaves, and that will cement his legacy. That's what I just said in the last segment. Um, but here we have Mike Lee. Uh, I think he's on the yeah he's on the Judiciary Committee. So Senator Mike Lee's on the Judi- Judi- Judiciary Committee for the Senate, and he said, yeah, this, basically he's saying this, we're not going to appoint anyone <laughs> the president does. Uh, this is Charles Cook, uh, someone I, I respect from the National Review. He said the Senate must simply refuse to appoint anybody. Would be outrageous to replace a giant like Scalia with a minnow like Sotomayor. Would be outrageous to replace a giant like Scalia with a minnow like Sotomayor. <laughs> so we said in the last, you know, last 45 minute or hour, I guess, <clears throat> talking about this since it just broke an hour ago. Elections have consequences. And the president has appointed two nominees to the Supreme Court. Uh, those elections had consequences, you know, and I don't know, I'm not supporting John McCain or Mitt Romney, you know what I mean? But like, if we had a conservative there, then those two nominations would have been different. We'll leave it at that. Um, this next appointment, imagine if Hillary, imagine if Hillary becomes president or Bernie or Joe Biden, whoever, and the next three Supreme, Supreme court justices pass away in the next four to eight years, right? So they get three or four appointments. The whole court would be progressives. Can't have that. Elections have consequences. Now, here's the flip side of that. In the last election, you made sure that we had a Republican conservative. I saw Republican. Republican Senate. I'm not saying it's mostly conservative, but a Republican Senate. Elections have consequences. So there's 54 Republicans. If there were 49 Republicans, then the president would be able to sail a nomination through straight away. But because of your hard work on the last election, there are now... Uh, more Republicans than Democrats. So if the Republicans can stand strong, then uh, then maybe there can be no nomination. Can I read from Ted Cruz here? Um, uh, I don't think any other candidates that I've seen here have responded. I'm sure they have. I just don't have it in front of me. But Donald Trump said the totally unexpected loss of Supreme Court uh, Scalia is a massive setback for the conservative movement in our country. Uh, Ted Cruz had a, uh, a longer uh, uh, tribute here. He said, today our nation mourns the loss of one of the greatest justices in history, a champion of our liberties and a stalwart defender of the Constitution. He will go down as one of the few justices who single-handedly changed the course of legal history. As liberals and conservatives alike would agree, through his powerful and persuasive opinions, Justice Scalia fundamentally changed how courts interpret the Constitution and statutes, returning the focus to the original meaning of the text after decades of judicial activism. He authored some of the most important decisions ever, including D.C. versus Heller, which recognized our fundamental right under the Second Amendment to keep and bear arms. Imagine if Justice Sotomayor, Sotomayor wrote that, right? It'd be very different. He was an unrelenting defender of religious liberty, free speech, federalism. So important. I wish federalism was talked about more in this election. Giving power back to the states. That was um, Rick Perry's whole pitch. Federalism. I'll never forget when Rick Perry first ran the 2012. He uh, he had such a great line. He said, "Vote for me for president, and I will make the federal government so insignificant to your life you'll never even think about us." <laughs> right? Something along those lines. That's federalism. Uh, anyway, uh, the constitutional separation of powers and private property rights. All liberty-loving Americans should be in mourning. Justice Scalia's three decades on the court was one of President Reagan's most cons- consequential legacies. Our prayers are with his beloved wife, Maureen, their nine children, and their precious grandchildren. So if Scalia was one of Reagan's most consequent, consequential legacies, 30 years later, imagine what will happen if we have another 
uh, progressive appointment point 90 or 30 years later. Ted Cruz wrote on Twitter, Justice Scalia was an American hero. We owe it to him and the nation for the Senate to ensure that the next president, the next president, names his replacement. Not this one. The next one. The most important issue now. Mike Slater Show, The Blaze Radio Network. See you next week. You're listening to Mike Slater. Part of the next generation of talk radio. On The Blaze Radio Network.